previously on the Soulless Cinema. Alright, we need to be ready for the next assault. Get Seeker to safety. Yes, and don't be long. We don't have much time to spare. As the arrow looses it, it connects with the forehead of Mifuzula. No! It was a natural 20. I'm not losing Methuselah. As you open the door, you see as four goblins are running towards Methuselah with swords and makeshift shields at hand. Methuselah, who is standing, arms open as if it was on an embrace, and a certain darkness is coming out of Methuselah, emanating almost as if it was evaporation, but of shadow. The goblins act much faster than you can even react. As they jump towards Methuselah, they reach and breach the growing shadow underneath him. And so, as they pass the threshold, they limply fall on the ground around Methuselah, completely devoid of life. O almighty she, goddess of the dust, help me calm this one, for they have become an emissary of death voice reverberating off the walls of this passage. Mortis just stands firm and he yells, STOP! Holy again, little mouse. Just because we don't know things or we can't find a solution right now, that doesn't mean it's not worthy of continually looking after. We just need to pace ourselves. Suppose you're right, my friend. He kind of stands up, hesitates for a few seconds, and then it extends their hand towards you. Throughout the vastness of the multiverse, there lies a tavern. As you approach its doors, you catch bubbles of laughter that rise and burst into cheers as colorful groups of travelers find comfort in their bonds. As you head inside, the smile of the tavern keeper greets you. They're an otherworldly being with a bluish corporeal form. They wear attire befitting of an innkeeper and they have a large cloudy nebula for hair speckled with stars, which gently sways with their movement. Welcome to the Storyteller's Tavern, where stories are served like ale and a seat is open for you at every table. Tonight's special is the Sunless Citadel, an epic adventure of high fantasy with notes of friendship, danger, and most importantly, hope. Will our adventure survive to descent into the dungeon? Or is there a dark and calamity taking roots far from the sun's reach? On the outside of the door, back onto the hallway of the lab, you guys start to look around. Seeker specifically for their dagger and Mortis the perimeter. Please, the two of you, roll for me either perception or investigation. I'm going to use perception if that's okay. Yes. It's going to be an 18. I got a natural 20 for perception. After a few moments of looking around, Seeker is able to find their dagger just fine. While Mort is taking the opportunity to do the perimeter as you are also looking for the dagger, you notice that all the doors are left ajar, even the ones that they used to escape from this room. The only one that is closed shut is the one in the far corner where your memory remembers there was a single goblin within that room shooting arrows in the beginning of combat, but you never saw that goblin running away. Without even saying anything, he just walks over to the door. He has a hand on the hilt of his greatsword, and he just puts a hand on the handle of the door, he twists it, and then he just shoulder checks the door open. You feel the impact of something blocking the door. Who are you? Silence from inside of the room. He waits a couple seconds, and then he goes, I don't want to hurt you. Which I know may be hard to believe after what you witnessed, but I don't know what happened. I, I, I don't want anyone else to die today. I, what happened was beyond my explanation. I just, if you're there, you can go. I won't stop you. I won't say a word. Just, I'm sorry. And then he walks away. <laughs> uh, seeker. Because you found your dagger relatively fast, you were able to see Mortis shoulder-checking the door in the distance. As you were approaching, you caught the tail end of that conversation, per se. And as you turn, Mortis, you see Seeker relatively like 10 feet away from you, approaching you as well. Well, did you find anything? In a quiet voice, he goes, 
I believe there's another goblin in there, but at this point, I think we can just let him go about his business. No more senseless death. Not today. Now, I don't want to overrule you, Mortis, but what if, now hear me out, that business that we let this goblin go about doing is to go and snitch on us to other goblins? Ringa said that the goblins are unlikely to return here out of a sense of fear. Briefy glances over at one of the goblin bodies that had been drained of life. After what I witnessed here, I don't think they will. Thinking about it for a moment, Seeker is going to slowly nod. Yeah, I I see what you mean, and you're right. We shouldn't. We should just let this poor goblin go. I mean, Methuselah got hurt, right? I think. They're kind of acting, well, not like themselves. They're, they're not really the most chipper person I've ever met, but, you know, I, I love them anyways. I love all you guys. And, you know, it takes a lot to hurt Methuselah, I think. They're really, really tough. And so whatever happened, it, it hurt them, which means it probably hurt most people, right? A look of sorrow crosses his face. You're right about one thing. I believe that what did happen hurt Methuselah more than anyone else. They will be okay. Methuselah is one of the strongest people I've ever met. But it will take time, and he will need all of our support. You have been... You've been a good friend to Methuselah, and I thank you for that. I try to take care of all of you, but there's only so much I can do. Well, you do an incredible job, Mortis, and I I would never criticize you and how you you know, take care of us. You brought me back from the brink of death more than once. Or at least I think it was the brink of death. I think one time I I heard meowing in the distance, and I think, I don't know, maybe maybe the cat lady was just, no, you gotta go back. You gotta, you gotta do your job. But I don't know. I, I suppose you helped her with that. And I try to be a good friend. And I hope that, you know, once we all make it out of here, that we'll still be friends and we'll still be able to lean on each other. I don't think that this is the only adventure I'm going to want to go on with you guys. Mortis just smiles warmly. He puts a hand on Seeker's shoulder. Promise me one thing, Seeker. No matter what you see down here or on any of our adventures, never change. Never lose that hopeful demeanor, that thing that truly makes you you. Because in the darkest of times, it's positivity like that that will allow us to persevere. Be the beacon of light that I know you can be. I did have a little heart-to-heart with Methuselah during our last watch, and I I did promise them that I wouldn't let these things change me in a bad way. I hope that all of these things will only make me more willing to help people and only make me a better friend. I truly believe in you. You know, you may be a cunning rogue, but you have the will and spirit of a paladin. I mean, I do love being sneaky and hanging out with my daggers, but I have always felt serving the cat lady is my true calling, and I I look up to you, because you seem you're a a really good paladin to she and I know that she and the cat lady are very very different but I consider you to be a role model Mortis. That means a lot tell you what next time we get the chance uh, when we're not in as dire a situation how about the two of us sit together and we can swap stories about our goddesses. I think that that would be a lot of fun and then Seeker's gonna wrap their arms around Mortis and give him a hug. Uh, Mortis returns the embrace, and after after that moment passes, I think the two of them head back to the, for lack of a better term, safe room. You guys go back to the room, and as you enter, Methuselah and Erky are approaching the two goblins, that little makeshift seating arrangement. You guys are finally able to sit down all together. Now that we're all sitting around and are much more relax than we were before. Thorn will look at Ringa again, and instead of asking him any questions, look at him more expectantly. I imagine you guys are wondering what's going on in here. Well, it's uh, it's very simple. 
To answer your previous questions, Thorn, after you guys were exiled, we started to follow Grinnell's advice more like law than suggestion and advice as they once were. The council, they were already advanced aged, so they slowly started to die, but the younglings were not interested to take up charge. Geld was very persistent about keeping order in these vacuums of presence, and his presence grew instead. I don't know if he was bullying the others not to take charge, or if he just convinced them that he was a better leader. And with the two together, Geld took over the clan. It was something that I was already visualizing that could have happened, and it did. A few years later, Geld started to make us become more aggressive, sacking, doing bandit work, and it had its pros as in for the benefit of the clan, but it also came with cons of sorts. Many people died, but at least we got more food and resources, so we were able to replenish faster. In my opinion, it was not really worth it, but I... I care for the clan more than anything. A tragedy. I've seen it before in my travels. Misguided leaders who think they are doing the best for their people often lead them to commit terrible deeds. Your people deserved better. That is a very good observation of what happened. And due to that, there was the encounter between Geld and Durna. They fought because we were meant to ambush Durna and her brothers, but they were able to overpower us despite the fact that we had the upper hand with the ambush. I don't know how, but they grew fond of each other right there and then and she was assimilated into the clan. A few days later, maybe a week, Geld was so much in love with her that he effectively made her the, the actual chief of the clan instead of himself gladly positioning himself to be her right-hand man. And with that, her ferocity and prowess towards combat increased the activities of us as a menace to the countryside. We were able to get more resources than ever, but with that came unwanted attention. It was her idea for us to take residence in this fortification. That way we were able to protect ourselves better and take advantage of the nearby roads as well. Pardon my forwardness, but I had a query. Do you know anything about the druid that has been influencing your people? A little bit. He came maybe a year after we took residence here. Heard of what we were capable of, and he came with a proposal to use us as his own personal mercenaries, but in exchange he would provide us with power and protection, as he was called to this place, apparently. His name is Berlach. He lives in the garden, deep within this fortification. He nurtures it, as something seems to have been calling him there. I try to distance myself from there and anything related to him, although sometimes it's inescapable, depending on the tasks that Dunar sent me to. Do you know anything about what the druid wants or what the druid is doing down there in the grove? The druid nurtures the land there, as that's the main thing that I hear, but I imagine that he's actually doing more than just that. And then he looks towards the door. Some of the other rooms out there has been used by us as per his instructions to experiment and to cultivate strange seeds. The 
that he's able to obtain somehow. That's something that I have been trying to avoid. Does it have anything to do with the apple of virtue that we've heard much about? If there is a connection between the two, I do not know. I just know one thing. The druid appeared, and then the apple and the seeds appeared after. So it's his doing. Whatever it is, if there is a connection, it is because of him. Do you know where any of these apples are, or the seeds? Anything? He always brings it from the garden. There's none here? He keeps them very close, and only provides slices as payment for service to Duna. Whatever designs this Belak has for the Apple of Virtue, it cannot be good. This man, this monster, mark my words, I will strike him down. I really do hope so you do. I have no love for him, and I'm sad to say I have no love for Durna as well. Though for me, the two of them are outsiders that have turned this clan into something corrupted and dangerous. Before, our lives were not easier, I will not deny it, but at least it was a life that we were content with. Now we're focused on hurting others, and this path only leads to danger, as I have seen many humans go through something similar. Is there anything we can do to help you and your people? I do not know, because the root of this problem came from within us, Geld and Grinnell. They were already ambitious as they were before, and um, people just did not really care to take a stand against them. I hope that maybe distancing ourselves from both Durna and Black might help people see that we don't need to live like this anymore. But I do not know personally. And besides, I'm old. Even if there were to be change, I do not know if I would live long enough to see it. I do not believe that all hope is lost for your people, Ringa. All who live are susceptible to corruption. It is the curse of existence. But I pray that within your time, there will be peace for the goblins. And, though you may not consider yourself able, I believe that you would be a great candidate to lead them into a new era of hope. I will try my best. And then he looks at Thorn. I want to protect them. I always did. You don't have to worry too much about Derna and her brothers. They're no longer in charge, so to speak. Well, what do you mean? We faced them in battle, and we managed to win. Same with Grinnell, but Geld ran away. Oh. Okay. Oh, wow. That means that you guys are powerful. I'm sorry for looking surprised. I do not want to insult you. Yeah, uh, we we are really tough. We're tougher than we look. I can believe that. Well, uh, maybe now there is a chance. If Geld ran away, maybe he's trying to lick his wounds. But I could suffer. I could try to provide guidance in this moment. Grinnell also fell? Yes. Who's never the smartest of kids? Maybe I will provide a long overdue influence on him. I'm not confident about it, but if I have a chance, it is now, I guess. I don't know if that's a good idea right now. I mean, Geld is dangerous. He would rather kill than let his pride get hurt in front of the tribe. It might be better to wait for Balak to be gone so that he has nothing to fall back on, no power to hold him up anymore. If it's just Geld, good old Tormentus Geld, then people are more likely to listen, I think. But if it's Geld with the druid at his back, people are going to be afraid. I agree, actually. Uh, now, since you said that you were willing to help us find my sister, now, at Cat Castle, which is where I live, we have some really great healers 
who, if you ever needed it, they would be happy to take care of you. Because, well, you're helping us out. As much obliged. I'll help as I can, but I will not go down there. I completely understand. Now, if my sister wasn't down there, I probably wouldn't be going down there myself. And I know that my friends here have their own reasons for going. So, I'm not gonna judge whether you come with us or you stay here. Your safety is... Well, it's the most important thing. I just hope that whatever I can provide as information will help in my stead. I can tell you what you may face from here on out. You're not far from the garden itself. He takes a bite of a dried peach. One last question. It, it pertains to what we may encounter. We have seen many undead creatures. Uh, these bodies, were they of your people or of the scattered remains of the Draconic Empire? No. They are not of our people. Maybe one or two. But the great majority of them are of travelers that we have ambushed throughout the years. Ambushed and taken to Belak, the outcast in the garden. Alas, not any of these adventurers were as strong as your sister and her companion. Which shows Belak's interest on them. Do you know what Balak does to the stronger warriors? Does he just want to make an undead army? That would be my best guess. Because whenever we bring strong people to Balak, shortly after a new skeleton appears, wandering about patrolling the ruins. But it sounded like they were different. So I... Can imagine maybe something different is supposed to happen with them. Otherwise, I would imagine that their skeletons would be walking around already. Seeker is scared. Do you know what we might face the deeper we go into the citadel? A little. The only passage after this one is through one of the lab's rooms. He describes the area, and it's basically the area that you guys know that the door is, like, blocked off by something. Through there, there's gonna be an antechamber that leads towards what, what once was some sort of gallery to the Draconic Empire. This gallery is huge, and Belak has used magic and servants to convert the entire place instead into some sort of miniature garden. There you're going to find the guardian of the garden. And she is something of a powerful creature. I will tread carefully when entering there. Uh, past that, you're going to have to go through some sort of audience chamber. And that will lead towards another set of stairs that will lead downwards. From there on is a hallway and the garden's entrance. I never have gone past the audience chamber. Never dared, never desired to do. And only those who truly wants and that Durna gives her personal approval to accompany her to the garden were able to go down there. Everybody else were forbidden to. Can I do um, a check to figure out if I remember what he's talking about? Go right ahead. 14. You remember the gallery, huge gallery, big enough for a dragon to be able to walk in, depicting in the walls carvings of dragons of flight, casting down their breath weapons upon villages of terrified humans. And within this gallery, there are four rooms used for the Dark Warden's own amusement to which he would pick up exotic plants and put it in each room as if it was a arboretum of sorts, where some of his most devoted subjects were given the honor to be his personal gardeners. Past that, 
there is the audience chamber, as he described. This is one of the only places within the Sunless Citadel that would connect to open space from the ceiling area. Upon moments of audience, of high nobility, where people would besiege the Lord Deity Dark Warden, Kerigallan, to praise his being and to ask for help, that Kerigallan would swoop in from the skies and take a seat in front of a giant pedestal, which for you guys were as big as a stage of an amphitheater. If Kerigallan was pleased, he might consider to do whatever was asked. And if Kerigallan was upset, the person would melt in front of the entire audience and court. You remember those places, and you remember that there is a path that leads towards the garden, just by the audience chamber. Yes, I, I remember all of that quite well. That place leads directly to the garden. Indeed, yes. Can you tell us anything more about about the guardian along the path? This person you spoke of? I never really spoke to her before, but I have seen her from afar. She's not interested in talking or um, being close to the goblins in any way. The best way I can describe her, she's an elven maid. She somehow was brought here by Balak. Do you know her name and what sort of association she has with the druid? The druid brought her a few months after he made the agreement with Durna. She, uh, she was not happy to be here. And Balak, he told us to address her as Daphne. That... She was meant to take care of the gardens, and we were meant to respect whatever she said and do whatever she told us when we were supposedly helping her with her garden, as if it was his orders. You said that it's her garden? What do you mean by that? Belak not only takes care of the garden and the subterranean, but... He also transformed the gallery into a small version of the garden itself. Meanwhile, the garden that he stays in is much bigger, much more complex, with, with some sort of weird vegetation. This one, it's meant to more mimic the plants in the surface, and she's in charge of taking care and nurturing those plants. You mentioned that she was upset when she first came here. Do you know why was she forced to come here? That would be my guess. Uh, using my previous knowledge of druidic magic, can I do like a check to see if I'm familiar with what types of magic that the druid might be using to influence? Do I not kind of check? Okay. That's a 13. Not in terms of magic. You don't think there is even power capable of being able to make things grow so far away from, from the sun and from the earth, the surface at least. But, um, you, you have seen weirder stuff. This is troubling. The influence of this druid, it, it sounds different than anything I've ever seen. He must be stopped. That I agree. You guys will have to do that, though. I don't think anybody else can. Well, I suppose that's our plan from here on out. Rest up while you can. We... When we step out through all those doors, I will return to the Goblin Village, but I wish you the best. In the meantime, rest while we can. After resting for a few hours, I'm gonna say a max of two hours, you guys finally get restless enough to stand and venture outside of the room. Before you guys can go into any of the other ones, Ringa turns towards Thorn and says, Depending on the circumstances, I'll look for you again. Hopefully when I do, the clan will be more like home than it is now. I don't know if I could really come back, but if I do, even if I don't, 
I'll come and see you when we're finished. I would like that. Okay. Um, good luck and be careful. Before Ringa goes, Seeker wants to call out. Hi, Ringa. You are one of the smartest and most wise goblins that I've ever met. If anyone can do this, it's you. I hope so. And I hope you find your sister just fine. Thank you very, very much for all of your help. It, it means the world to me, and it will mean the world to my people as well. He nods. And if I ever happen to write a song about what took place here in the Sandler Citadel, I'll make sure to include you, my friend. He kind of chuckles. <laughs> now that is funny. To think that my name would come out of being inside of a clan like we. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you have to, sure. I'm nothing special, so um, you just have fun, I guess. Uh, Mortis walks up to, to Ringa and he holds out a hand. Thank you for everything, my friend. I hope that our paths cross again and that you stay safe. And thank you for taking care of Thorn. You have been helping a promise that I uh, that I made to Petals a long time ago. And with that, he actually turns around and makes his way out of the room. Now you guys are in the hallway once again. With Ringa gone, Thorn starts to feel dread again. He gets a sort of feeling of what if this is the last time I ever see him. But he pushes the feelings away when he looks back towards the rest of his companions and he knows that it's going to be okay and that they're going to figure it out. So he just kind of swallows the pit in his stomach and keeps going. Can we go into some of the rooms and do investigation checks? Of course. You guys have seen pretty much all the rooms in the this side of the wall. Closer to the entrance, there is the barracks, where most of the goblins were asleep. To the other side, furthest from the entrance, there is the uh, weapon storage with the crack that leads in, into the gap. But the rooms ahead of you, across from this hallway, you haven't seen it. So any of the three, the closest one to the door, the farthest one, that is the one locked, and the one in the very middle is up for grabs. What do you guys want to go first? Seeker and Methuselah are going to go to the middle room. Going straight ahead, you open the door of the middle room. Pulling it open, you guys see makeshift greenhouse of sorts with luminous mushrooms growing specific pots in a diagonal angle so it emanates lights and in weird ways. It's almost as if it was a greenhouse mixed with a laboratory because there are twig blights encased in jars. Almost some of them in jars with liquids, other are just pieces, others are opened, and then there is jars with different stages of what seems to be like a seed, and then a seed with a little sprout, and the sprout turning more into twigs. And you imagine that whatever the goblins were doing here was observing the twig blight's process and keeping records. Because you guys find papers within this room as well, written in very childlike script that it is in Goblin. And when you look at it, Thorn, it's literally like bullet point notes about how the twig blights grow or what they have seen. I think Thorne looked through the notes. Is there anything stand out that he finds in terms of like a sort of deeper meaning as to why the twig blades were being grown? The notes are so simplistic that it doesn't really require a check for it. It literally are just bullet points of what they see, but it doesn't provide explanation, doesn't provide context. It's just this morning, Sprout grew. A little. Next morning, sprout lost leaf. Next morning, irrigated the sprout. 
very simplistic, one sentence is long, maybe two or three, depending on how much they interacted with it. Thorin looks at the other. From these notes, it seems like they were observing the growing of these plant creatures, just seeing what would happen to them as they grow. But it's really simplistic. I don't think there's anything really here in terms of why this is happening. Suppose then we could go to the next room, see if there's anything more there about why they were doing this. I, I agree. We might be able to find something more. Thorn leaves this room and he'll check out the door to the left of this room. To the left of this room, it is the one that both Seeker and Mortis knows it is blocked or locked. Hey Thorn, you might need some help with that one because we couldn't get it open earlier. Oh, um, is it locked? Uh, yes, last time I tried it, it did seem to budge. I, I believe it might be locked. Thorn will go over to the door and try it again and see if it's still locked or blocked. The door is not opening. Can Seeker try to pick the lock? The door has no lock. Okay, well then never mind. Thorn will look over to the others. Do we want to break down this door? Or do we want to check out the other door first before we make a ruckus? I'd say we could try the other door first. It might be easier if it's, you know, unlocked. Yeah, I, I agree with Methuselah, especially if we're gonna need to make a lot of noise. Thorn will step away from the blocked door and he'll walk down the hall to the last door that we have to check out. Opening the last door, you open to find rows of those mushrooms that are luminous, but they are not glowing in here. They are plucked out of the ground and they are in containers. Some of them are filling barrels by one side of the room. The other side has what best can be described as a massive barrel. But it's not a barrel that is the usual standard size. It's open as if it was cut in half and it's so big that you guys could fit inside. Looking inside, there are what seems to be crushed mushrooms making some sort of like liquidy pool in the very bottom. Can we do a perception check to see if we could figure out what they were doing in here? Sure, go right ahead. Mortis is probably just guarding the door right now. He's, he's in kind of a paranoid state. There are fragments of stuff that you guys find, and together you guys come to a somewhat same conclusion. Seeker notices that the mushrooms that are on the barrels are the same ones inside of the big open barrel, per se. Thorn was courageous enough to step inside of the barrel, and as they stepped inside to look for in as they stepped on the mushrooms, it seemed like it created more of the liquid that is also permeating within this area. And Methuselah, as they were investigating, they noticed a few bottles of, like, uh, some the gourds, others are bottles, like actual glass bottles. And when you opened, uh, uncorking it, you would actually smell a certain aroma coming from inside, as there is liquid inside. And that together with all the pieces of information that you guys brought it together, made Methuselah, and I think Seeker too would be most appropriate for that, the two of you were actually able to come up with the idea that this is like a wine cellar of sorts that makes wine. Basically, instead of grapes, they use the mushrooms to make this wine. Nothing extremely useful here, unless we want to drink. I don't think that would be wise, considering uh, we are in a very dangerous place. Yeah, and uh, I also prefer milk. And I don't think that this is milk. I'm fairly confident that this is not milk. Erky says, it's more like juice. I'm not a huge fan of juice. Well, shall we head to the more difficult door? Just kind of nods and he positions himself in front of it. You guys are now facing the last door, the one that is blocked. Thorn will look at Mortis. I guess if it's okay, you can try to force the door open? I will do my best. Uh, everyone stand back. Uh, whatever's on the other side may be unstable and cause a ruckus of some kind. Methuselah takes a big step back, cradling Yorick, just waiting. Thorn is gonna see Methuselah step back and 
He'll cautiously step back as well and hold on to the ends of Methuselah's coat. As you're cradling Yorick, there's a certain difference to Yorick that you never noticed before. A difference as if it was half a longing, half a feeling of its tension. In the sense that you're starting to feel, although it is kind of a crazy thought of sorts, you have a feeling that you can understand the instrument. The feeling is almost as if when a person looks at another that they are familiar with and they know that the person is feeling sad or angry or happy just by glancing at their facial expressions, tone or personality. Although this is an inanimate object, you're getting those same feelings as if you were able to understand it a little. So I like sense a presence in a way. Almost, but it's hard to wrap your head around as this is an inanimate object. Seeker is going to draw their rapier and their dagger in a reverse grip. So the dagger is going to be in front and the rapier behind, just ready to fight if anything comes out. Mortis takes a few steps back from the door, sizes it up a bit under his breath. You could just barely hear, oh, this is going to hurt. Uh, all right. And he's just going to charge at the door full speed and try to break it down. Do for me a athletics strength check. Mortis winds up a few steps, take a few seconds to mentally prepare themselves, and he charges it. Charges as fast as he can. And as he braces his side, as he angles himself towards the impact with the door, it is a clear consequence of his actions. As he just impacts it and falls backwards, and he's unconscious. You guys just see where he's ram into the door, and before he goes, he's like, Oh god. <laughs> And then he's just out. I will say Methuselah stands there, completely shocked. Thorn will like go over and try to shake Mortis awake. After a few moments, you're able to shake Mortis awake. Mortis, are you okay? Did I, did, did we get through the door? No, you hit your head really hard. Oh, I really, I, I really should have protected that. Maybe, maybe I should use a less direct approach. Um, I mean, I have an idea. Oh, what's that? Thorn raises his hands, and he's going to shoot an Eldritch Blast directly at the doorknob. Go for it. With the blast of your Eldritch Blast, it impacts at a certain segment close to the handle, a little bit closer to the middle, that explodes into a little explosion of petals, but it shatters that section of the door enough for a whole arm to go in if it had to you guys then notice that there is a plank of wood blocking the door from the inside so methuselah sees thorn blast the door with that eldritch blast and then sees the kind of wood that's blocking it and then their two hands are just going to kind of float inside and then pick up the blocking panel and, and move it so we can go inside you're successfully able to do so a little bit slow and trying not to make your hands poof out of existence by exertion, but you're able to successfully nudge it out of blocking the door. Before we proceed, please, Thorn, as you cast the spell, you hear the laughter of the other Thorn a creeping closer and closer. It almost creeps all the way to the light but in the last instant you do not know if it is what that strength came from that was able to repel the other thorn back and you keep the light whoever is closest probably sees thorn stumble and like grab his ears a little bit as if he's trying to shield them from a sound and he stays like that clenching the sides of his head and then after a few moments he kind of just shakes his head and seems to stand up straight again I imagine that Methuselah is the one that was beside Thorn because Thorn took the step back and was holding the their mm -hmm. coat. So Methuselah's going to look at Thorn. Are you all right, my friend? <sighs> yeah, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Inside. At first, Thorn is really convincing. I think especially because this Thorn is a little bit harder to read than the other one, since technically you don't know this Thorn as well. But as you 
see him kind of laugh it off, you realize that the laughter is less of like, yeah, haha, it's funny, I'm fine, and more of like, ha ha ha, oh. I will say, I have seen Thorn kind of grapple with the two sides before, especially with the the goblins, the moment we were at the door kind of looking at the goblins. Um, so Samathus is going to kind of remember that as well. It's all right, Thorn. You, you can fight it. I believe in you. Uh, thanks. It's okay, really. Um, let's just see what's past the door. Being able to finally enter this room, you guys see a true laboratory filled with glass-like paraphernalia and strange collections of items and liquids of many tomes that are piled up in different areas, small little torch little candles that are getting up liquids. It's literally a laboratory. It's a mess as well. Very difficult to see what's, what's what in different areas because it seems an organized mess, the entire thing. There is another door on the far end, and that's where you think it leads to the, to the gallery. And the only other thing that catches your eyes is an open journal on a podium, meant to be read and used as a point of reference almost to the rest of the experimentations in this room. It seems that this is another journal by the daughter of Alaganthorn, the draconic cultist. Oh, um, what does it say? <laughs> Subtlety is no longer a requirement for my operations. After a lot of work influencing regional politics, the Dragonborn have shifted their attention towards insignificant little cities along the Western Range. Now I can finally, effectively, work on the big steps of my plan. Next, I need to discreetly invite scholars and practitioners of the magical light to visit the luxury of my halls and entertain them in trading knowledge. And to those who do not wish to trade or share what they know, I might end up employing the services of monsters and the desperate to help convince them otherwise. I have quietly kept up with the teachings and exercises bestowed upon me by my beloved, although time is of no concern to my elven kin, I find myself as driven as a vengeful human towards my goal. It has been just a few decades since my life forcibly changed from happy and full of joy to frustration and caution. Alas, it has felt like centuries instead. For never before have I noticed how tormentedly painful time can be as I am away from you, my dear and powerful Kirigallan. In the end, none of that will matter, for I will use the gifts you help me nurture, and I will embrace your greatness again under the green light of our never-ending love. That will be the rebirth of the Draconic Empire, eternal and stronger. From yours and only, Mongenti. Can Seeker look around and see if there's anything else of value that they can take? I am going to say that there's just weird stuff in here. You would not know what is valuable and what is not. Fair. That's fine. I got the candles to help my buddy Mortis. Doesn't seem to be anything relevant to our current quest, more so insight into the Draconic Empire. Suppose it has something to do with what happened to this place, you know, after Valakar has liberated it. I mean, maybe eventually we'll be able to see exactly how the Citadel fell. Maybe it has something to do with what she was doing. Perhaps it seems she was intent on doing something with the Dark Warden. You mean the dragon that lived here? I mean, I'm assuming that the dragon lived here. This is a Draconic Empire fortification. Oh, yes, sir. This was a stronghold for the Draconic Empire. So now this one talks about how this person wants to bring be with the dragon? It seems so. I mean, the dragon is 
He's dead by this point. This is after Valakaris liberated the place. And she wants to bring him back? I don't know. I don't know what she wants to do. Either way, uh, assumably it didn't work. We're here. This place is decrepit and not in use. I guess. What else does this journal say? You guys then spend the time reading the journals to make sure that you guys can see and understand the story behind them a little bit better. After an hour, you guys comprise the following information. The first journal is a collection of accounts that Mongentis underwent throughout the occupation of the Draconic Empire. They conquered the place after killing the Dark Warden. And she was found by the Dragonborn. And as she was found, she actually was not taken as a prisoner. Instead, she was taken as a refugee. She was placed to the same areas as the other servants and subjects of the Dark Warden was, and was able to escape punishment because of that. Somehow, she was then bypassed by the cracks of their occupation. In her words, she suffered greatly as she had to act as a normal servant or peasant when she so much of a higher status. She was much superior than them. And she got to use her knowledge of the fortification to her advantage by helping the Dragonborn get secrets that they would have found and she kept the other secrets to herself and away from their eyes. In the end, she was able to obtain their trust. Her life was a little bit easier, but she was still discontent. On Methuselah's end, with the book that was just found, this journal served in a dual purpose, that it holds a personal accounts from Mongenti and as an extensive manual of magic. Both parts are blended together, where her complex equations and dense analytical notes about the light and the power of magic are interwoven with entries detailing events that were relevant to Mongenti's life and her pursuits. Half of the accounts are referring to the plenty and constant correspondence with scholars of far-off land within the continent, occasionally inviting them and hosting small social events for selected experts of the light of the magic. It also accounts for the progressive usage of and the employment of bandits, monsters and marauders, and even assassins to force the reclusive scholars that were not interested in engaging with her, under duress of harm, blackmail and even murder of themselves or loved ones, they complied. The other half are complex calculations and notes about the wavelengths, frequencies and spectrums of light. A true collection of knowledge worth years of dedication and shared information from scholarly minds as well. If you want, you can use an arcana check on this that you just read. Thorn will help Methuselah. 16. These notes are very dense articles regarding the amplification of magical power, understanding of its limitations and how to naturally fluctuate. Does anything in these notes have to do with necromancy? Curiously, the notes are mostly focused on the green spectrum of light, commonly known as the magic of necromancy. There are even some spells amongst the notes so this book could be worth selling to a scholar. It's interesting. It seems that maybe this sort of research might be what the druid is using to create these undead creatures. And maybe where he got the inspiration for getting the goblins to work on, you know, his side. Well, it seems like this woman was obsessed with bringing the dragon back to life. Seems like she spent a lot of her time trying to study necromancy. Exactly, which is why I think that maybe the druid is using this knowledge for what they're planning now. So the evil of the draconic empire has bred a more sinister brand in today's era. Is there anything in the notes about 
her completing this goal or like anything that looks conclusive in the sense of bringing back something as big as a dragon. Based on some of the notes and calculations and experimentation results, she was successful in a smaller scale. Skeletons, zombies, and other undeads, she was fairly able to actually create them and use them to her advantage. But nothing as big as a dragon. How does the journal end? Does it end abruptly? Or does it end with a sort of conclusive wrap-up to her research? It finishes as if she did not have enough page to continue, which would indicate that there are other journals to proceed. Okay, okay. Knowing that, would we be able to look to see if we can find a continuation of this journal? You can do an investigation check for that. Seeker is a little bit more focused. And after perusing the great majority of the other books and notes that are all and about in this room, you're fairly certain that there is no other journal like this one. All the other books are very basic books, some older, some newer. Maybe that were taken from the travelers that were ambushed by the goblins in relation to magic, to better understand magic, and so forth. Most of the pieces of papers are actually notes done by a person with a much better handwriting than those of the goblins that you have seen before. Notes about how to decipher the journal using the other's books as a reference. What are these notes written in? These other notes? Common. For the Methuselah, you guys were unfortunately a little bit distracted, but that was not as to your fault, that was actually Erky's fault. Because while you guys were looking around, he was like, well, so she wanted to bring back him by using and mastering necromancy. It would seem so. The amount of power that she would require for something as big as a dragon is unfathomable. She would need some sort of energy or some connection to another, I don't know, not even... Maybe a god or something powerful would be big enough to give an extra boost, but aside from that, uh, it's very hard to think. Well, perhaps as Thorn said, it might be the reason why the Citadel fell. The Druids are a big deal, right? Like, they're almost like legends, right? From what I know, yes, they're they're legends. They, They felled giants. Ringa mentioned that there was a woman who was brought here who wasn't really happy. I don't know. It's far-fetched because apparently the woman doesn't share the same name, but would it be possible for the person in these journals to work with the druid? Someone that powerful who's trying to master necromancy who might actually be able to bring back a dragon? A mortis. You know a bit more about druidic magic than than we do. Do you know if druid magic has the potential to, you know, do what this druid is doing in terms of necromancy? You see Mortis, his expression changes as, as the memories come flooding back. Uh, well, uh, in my time with Nera, uh, she told me a bit about druidic magic, but she was always careful to keep it close to her chest, not because she didn't trust me, but she expressed that the deeper levels of druidic magic could be dangerous, even in the hands of one who is noble. I never witnessed using it for any sort of necromantic magic, but I suppose it could be possible. Uh, I, I knew her for most of my life, and if she was willing to keep such secrets so close, that it is possible that one as sinister as Belak could accomplish unimaginable feats. Erky steps in and goes, Guys, clearly this guy is not a druid. With all due respect, druids are just legends. They are myths, people that didn't know how the light of magic works, and they wanted to say that these people were special. Clearly, this is just a 
manipulator of light magic that is able to use the green spectrum. Seeker's gonna turn to Erky. Well, you see, sometimes legends are real, I guess, because, I mean, you're here, and Mortis would know that druids are real, because his wife was definitely not a druid, but she knew druids. And I have heard about druids in songs, so, you know, the druids who have done great feats. I mean, so have I. I have heard the stories of the fall of the giants, too, but I heard those when I was little. And and then he kind of focused on you, Mortis. If your wife claims to have known druids or be within those circles, I'm not saying that it's impossible, it's just that such a thing wouldn't have that already been shown? There's so little to know about the druids nowadays, ever, ever there was. It's only the legends. Barely any evidence, barely any contact. Why wouldn't, if she was involved, why wouldn't she actually be participating more actively? Mortis has kind of a neutral expression. Like There's no real emotion on his face. I understand your skepticism, my friend. I, too, once thought druids were a mere myth, but... I assure you, they are real. As for your concerns, I find that, from what Nara would always tell me, it is often those with the most power who must show the most restraint. Their presence was certainly there, but only in events that were truly dire. For one, such as this Belak who uses his powers for ill, a druid gone rogue could be dangerous beyond belief. I mean, even if this Belak isn't a druid, he could still be really dangerous with this kind of magic. All the more reason to stop him. That I agree. I'm not saying that your wife wasn't a druid or involved with her. I... It's just hard for me to believe something like this, just all. Sometimes the greatest mysteries of the world go unsolved. And I suppose we're all learning a lot about things that shouldn't exist but do. And I'm giving Erky like a stare of like, it's me, bestie. Well, I suppose we've gathered all we can here. We can either continue down this path or return to the, the cavern back there. Ringa did say that the guardian of the garden was somewhere close if we went down this path. So, and I forgot to ask him what was in the cavern. Um, I mean, if we want to leave no stone unturned, we could go back and check out the cavern. But if we wanted to continue onwards, we could go this way, but we might be in for a fight. I personally think that it might be best to search the cavern, because maybe in there we might find more clues about Malgenti. And I, I think that would be a really good idea for, you know, when we ultimately do have to fight, because the better prepared that we are, the less likely it is that something bad will happen, right? Suppose so. I am inclined to agree. After concluding within this laboratory, you guys decide to come back, go towards the garden with all the mushrooms that you guys entered just after the fight with Durna. You turn to the left, seeing the cavernous entrance, and that's where you guys are going in to leave no stone unturned. This is Dungeon Master Rick here with Hammer of the Gods. Do you enjoy socially awkward bards? I pull out 50 gold and I put it in the guard's hand and say, can I go see the snakes now? Dungeons and Dragons and mildly inappropriate humor. Haha, uh -huh. looks like Daniel's our new DM. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Did you just call me Daddy? I've been here for 10 seconds and we're already jumping straight to Daddy. All right. 
and epic fantasy combined with alternate history and a splash of Greek and other ancient mythologies thrown in for flavor. Why do the other Olympians Perfect. avoid Dionysus? I don't know why. Because all he does is whine. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I, I'm praying to daddy here. <laughs> then you'll love Hammer of the Gods. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really enjoy our show, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash hampod. That's H-A-M-M-P-O-D. the end of this episode of the Sunless Citadel. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to us on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and be sure to catch the next installment of the Sunless Citadel every Thursday at 12pm EST. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review. It's a small way to show your support that goes a long way. To connect with us, follow our social media accounts and if you'd like to support us, you can head over to our Patreon to join the conversation, view sneak peeks of our next project, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Our intro score was created by Patrick Corton from Off the Beaten Path Musical. The Sunless Citadel can be found in the Tales from the Yawning Portal by Wizards of the Coast. The world of Nasso Mundus was created by Pedro Stockler. Thanks again for listening from all of us at the Storytellers Tavern.